listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Well, hopefully you've had uh, sufficient ice breaking. Uh, you've discussed some of the uh, challenging situations you might have that uh, you at, at a later time could uh, laugh about. I have a feeling we may hear about some of those situations from our faith story today, but we'll find out. Let me pray, and then I'll introduce our sharer today. Father, thanks that you are the one who uh, holds us together. You're the one that gives us the privilege of meeting together uh, to worship and to fellowship, to share stories, uh, to experience the diversity you give us in weather, like the rain we're having right now. Grateful for that, but uh, I pray that we would most of all focus on who you are and how we can become like you as we uh, live our lives here. So help us to learn from the, through your Holy Spirit today, in Jesus' name, amen. I suspect that the person sharing their face story today is someone you've seen a face of at least, so I may not even need to be as formal as an introduction, but I'll read it anyway. Steve Shambaugh. He began attending Faith Church as a high school senior in 2001. Seems like it's so recent. <laughs> and returned in 2015 after living in Texas for eight years. He's an elder at Faith and has served on the worship team and youth ministry, and he's currently a teacher in the children's ministry. He and his wife, Anne-Marie, have two children, Amelia, age 10, Donovan, 7. He works as a facilities engineer at Roche, and he strongly, strongly dislikes raw tomatoes but loves to eat fresh salsa, which makes no sense at all. <laughs> Hopefully we'll learn more about that this morning, too. So, Steve, share with us. Thank you. So I got the same treatment everyone else did from Anne-Marie um, beforehand, and I didn't know what the intro was going to entail until I heard it the first hour, and so she left that. That's all that you're going to hear about the tomatoes. Uh, she did that just for my sake. <laughs> so did anyone have any good stories of tough times that could end up being humorous later or that you thought, maybe I'll laugh about this someday? Anyone have any of those that they're willing to share? Well, I've got a story like that as well. Um, uh, one of those moments happened to me uh, in the computer center of the Four Points at, by Sheridan Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri on the eve of a Christmas Eve with my lovely wife and infant daughter traveling to our hometown of Indianapolis for our usual Christmas traditions. As I've come to discover, once I established my own family, marrying my high school sweetheart and later deciding to have children, traditions are difficult to establish and difficult to maintain in their infancy. I grew up in a family with few traditions. We occasionally went to fa on family vacations and we occasionally attended extended family gatherings and we occasionally set up uh, Christmas decorations a few weeks before Christmas, then took them down three months later when the calendar crept dangerously close to my birthday on the first day of spring. And because of this, my wife's family's traditions became our family's traditions when we were married as their traditions were long-standing and well-established. And none of those traditions were more long-standing and well-established than the Alice family Christmas traditions. Uh, in 2007, as part of one of Anne-Marie's newspaper jobs, she had to write a weekly column, and I, an emphasis on had to is one of her least favorite uh, weekly tasks. However, one column that provided immense fun and a particularly humorous moment with her dad was published on December 21st 
and was titled The Ten Commandments of Christmas Day. In this column, she predicted how Christmas would go at her parents' house that year. We lived in Garland, Texas at the time and planned to make the trip to Indianapolis for the second of what turned out to be eight years in a row. Uh, She did not discuss any of these plans with her family beforehand and wrote this column based solely on historical precedence. The Ten Commandments are as follows. First, we would attend the earliest of the Faith Church Christmas Eve services, and we would watch the contemporary worship leader struggle to know what to do with his hands since he didn't have his guitar with him when he was leading traditional Christmas hymns. Someone in the family will ask what attire is appropriate to wear to this type of a service, and lengthy debate would ensue. And then the service would end with a candlelight rendition of Silent Night. Number two, mom would throw frozen pizzas in the oven, and dad throws logs on the fire. Number three, we would watch It's a Wonderful Life, while dad asks the same questions about the same movie we've watched every year for her entire life. Then he'll fall asleep halfway through. Number four, Christmas morning meant cinnamon rolls, chocolate milk chugs, and one of her younger sisters being sent to wake up all of the adults. Number five, everyone except Anne-Marie would eat cinnamon rolls, and everyone, including Anne-Marie, would give dad a hard time about eating butter on those rolls. So one year I decided to try it with the butter, and it was pretty good. I didn't, so I don't give him a hard time anymore, but I also don't bother putting butter on it anymore either. Uh, Number six, dad reads Luke 2, but not before threatening jokingly to read Psalm 119 or the entire book. (laughs) Number seven, uh, we open our stockings. Number eight, Santa, the gift distributor, gives out the gifts one at a time, and this role was passed on to me when I joined the family. Number nine, dad receives a weather calendar and restaurant gift cards, and it's not a surprise to anybody. He also receives all the wrapping paper torn from all of the gifts. So he's kind of the trash man. And now that a lot of grandkids have joined, they love that game, right? They throw the wads of paper at him. After the gifts, we gather with extended family for a meal that rivals Thanksgiving, but with many less guests. Every one of those things happened that year. And the best part was that Anne-Marie brought the newspaper to Christmas dinner that year, and Randy read the column aloud, and we laughed so much that we cried at how predictable these traditions were and how much we all loved them. These traditions are like a, a giant boulder at the top of a hill. They're difficult to get going, but once they're rolling, there's enough momentum that they just seem to continue with little or no effort, and you can count on them every year. Unfortunately, like trying to stop a boulder rolling down the hill. Stopping or unexpectedly postponing such long-standing traditions requires special circumstances and typically a great deal of pain. But the beauty of the way God works is when there are difficult circumstances and great pain, his faithfulness is most clear to our typically distracted selves. I am, I am a lucky man. And for those of you fortunate enough to know my wife, uh, you already know how lucky I am. But my wife loves football. In fact, she has more experience playing the game of football, having played professional women's football at an all-star level, than I do, having only practiced with my sixth grade team long enough to find out that I was too overweight to qualify, and I'd have to play at the seventh grade level to continue, which I decided not to do. So when Donovan needs tips on how to play, he's going to have to talk to mommy to get real experienced advice. 
Anyway, my wife and I have a life goal related to our common interest in football, to see our beloved Indianapolis Colts play in every stadium across the country. We started this when we lived in Texas and made our trip down to Houston to see them play against their division rival Texans. Along with Houston, we've seen them play in Indianapolis, New Orleans, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, and Kansas City. We've been to many forgettable games, or, or at least games that we'd like to forget, like a 50-point drubbing in New Orleans on a Sunday night when Curtis Painter and the Colts were mercilessly hammered by the Saints' high-powered offense, while Anne-Marie and I were mercilessly hammered by many hammered New Orleans fans <laughs> that surrounded us throughout the game. Misery would have enjoyed less company that night. We've also in enjoyed attending a couple of historic Colts comebacks, so it's not all bad. But none of our experiences were more memorable than our day in Kansas City. In 2012, we decided to make our seventh annual Christmas trip from Plano, Texas to Indianapolis by way of Kansas City because the Colts happened to be playing the Chiefs on December 23rd, the eve of Christmas Eve. We delayed our trip one day and added only one extra hour to our total drive time. The most difficult part was that Amelia had just been born six months prior. So we would have to attend the game with an infant and make sure she was covered for an outside game in December. So this was us leaving on the way to Kansas City. We stayed at a hotel within walking distance of Arrowhead Stadium the night before the game, and since we were within walking distance once we pulled into the hotel parking lot, we didn't have to pay for parking at the game. So there's the view from our hotel. And we got in late to the hotel on the 22nd, and since we had the baby with us, we decided to walk to dinner uh, that night across the parking lot to the Taco Bell. And since we could walk to the stadium the next day and we walked to dinner that night, once the car was turned off in the hotel parking lot, I didn't need to start it up again until we pulled out for Indianapolis the next day after the game. And game day was great. We loaded up the car, checked out of the hotel, and walked to the game all decked out in our Colts gear. And the Kansas City fans were so nice and welcoming, nothing like the New Orleans fans. You never know what you're going to get when you go to one of these games as a fan of the away team. But I'm sure that the six-month-old, adorably plump baby in our arms only added to the kind Midwestern hospitality that we received. The Colts had won nine games at that point in the season, and the Chiefs had only won two. So a lot of the fans expressed to us their expectation to lose uh, to our team, and they hoped we enjoyed ourselves while we were at the game. And thankfully, the Colts did win, uh, but it was a much closer game than expected. But it was exciting, and Amelia stayed in a good mood for the game so we could see, so we could see it. She slept through a good bit of it. Um, Anne-Marie surprised me and Amelia by having a special message put up on the Jumbotron at halftime. So it reads, Steve and Amelia, looking forward to our first Christmas together as a family of three. Love, Anne-Marie. And we were so excited to experience our predictable, silly family traditions in a new way as parents with our baby's first Christmas. And Amelia was the first grandchild, so it was exciting for the whole family to be able to experience Christmas together with this new life. After the game, we walked back to our car, excited about the result and the beginning of Christmas festivities once we arrived back home in Indiana. 
We expected to arrive at the in-laws' house late that evening on the 23rd. Plenty of time to get some rest, as, as much rest as any new parents with a six-month-old can expect to get, especially when she's spitting up every meal. Um, we also had time to take in the local joy of the season before getting dressed and ready for the Christmas Eve service after discussing what clothes are appropriate for a service like this. But all of these plans were in peril when we arrived back at the car and after strapping Amelia into her car seat, the car would not start. And it wasn't just a dead battery where you turn the key and you hear a lot of clicking. It was, uh, you turn the key and there's nothing, total silence. Unfortunately, we'd experienced this before but had never fully diagnosed the problem. Jump-starting the car battery would not solve the problem and Anne-Marie and I both knew it. But as soon as I stepped out of the car, the driver of the car next to me, wearing as much Chiefs gear as I was wearing Colts gear, asked if I could use some help and insisted on attempting to jump the car. He had cables and wanted to give it a try. Unfortunately, as expected, it didn't work. And we headed back into the hotel to get out of the cold and try to figure out what we could do next. I walked to the front desk and explained the situation to Angela, the front desk clerk, to make sure it was okay with, that we left our car in the parking lot for the next unknown number of hours while we figured out what, where to have it towed and if it could be repaired. She assured us that that would be fine and if there was anything she could do to help, that we should let her know. We made the Hotel Business Center the home, our home base and I started to call local car repair shops to check availability to have our car checked that day and if there was any chance that they could fix it and get the car running so we could make it home for Christmas Eve. As I started to get the bad news that none of the shops had open time slots and that they were all closed on Christmas Eve, um, Anne-Marie had began calling rent car rental businesses as a fail-safe in case we would have to leave our car in Kansas City for a week while we were in Indianapolis. Um, we had some trouble early in our marriage renting a car on our honeymoon since we were too young. That's when we found out that it was impossible to rent a car if you're younger than 25 years old, and we were both just barely out of our teens at the time. But now we were both pushing 30, and it should be no problem to rent a car. Unfortunately, the other main requirement to rent a car was possessing a credit card, which we didn't have. So call after call was just another rejection, and it started to feel hopeless. And the clock was ticking. And it was Sunday night, and Christmas Eve was just around the corner. Stress was building, and frustrations began to stack up. And throughout this time, we cried out to the Lord, and we prayed as the psalmist did in Psalm 130 out of desperation, especially as the situation felt as if it was slipping through our fingers and there was nothing else we could do. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And every rejection made it feel more sure that we'd be celebrating our baby's first Christmas in a hotel in Kansas City. And Anne-Marie rarely cries. But the one thing that will drive her to tears is stressful situations getting out of control as frustrations mount. Like being stranded in a hotel in Kansas City and having every effort to remedy the situation fail so that it looks like, little by little, you'll be missing out on celebrating Christmas with your family for the first time in your life. and the tears started to flow. 
and I didn't know what to do. Because this never happens. I'm the emotional one in our relationship. I'm the one who cried at our wedding, and I may not understand my emotions or know how to talk about them, but I don't know what to do about this. But thankfully, there was a baby between us. Literally, physically, a baby between us. She was wearing Amelia in a baby Bjorn, and Amelia was facing Anne-Marie. And God blessed us with this happy baby. And I thought, she'll know what to do. She's only six, month old, six months old, but she'll provide some comfort in this moment. And that baby let out a deep belly laugh. right in Anne-Marie's face <laughs> as the tears rolled down her cheeks. And there it was. That was the moment I said out loud, someday we'll think this is funny. <laughs> and we do. And yet now we think this is hilarious. And our little girl is joy personified. And so, of course, she laughed. What else do you expect Amelia to do? Not... Not now, she's not gonna laugh at somebody who's crying. She's incredibly compassionate and she definitely wouldn't laugh at her mom if she was crying, but she, she loves to hear this story. And when I tell it to her now, and I hear her laugh at it, the same deep belly laugh, it makes tears come to my eyes. Because as Psalm, 30, Psalm 130 says, after that plea for mercy, with our God is plentiful redemption. He is the God of redemption, and he redeemed this moment in our family's history. And looking back on this moment, I still remember the frustrations and the pain, but even more so, I remember my baby girl's laugh. And instead of sadness and misery, I feel happiness and joy. So at this point, I knew we, needed, we at least needed a place to stay for the night. And I went back to Angela at the front desk and updated her on the situation and that we couldn't find a place to take our car and that we couldn't get a rental car, so we would need a room for the night. And please tell me that there are rooms available. And thankfully, that was not an issue. And we ended up in the same room that we were in the night before with completely different feelings checking in this time. And I'm sure Angela could sense the overwhelming gloom we were feeling at the time. And she was being very kind and compassionate as we paid for the room. And she even gave us a, a, a very nice coupon for the restaurant at the, the hotel. She also suggested that we might try the local Firestone to check out our car. So after getting into our room, I called them right away and Unfortunately, they were closed, but they were open on Christmas Eve. I left them a message and explained our situation, hoping they would have mercy on us and would look at our car on short notice to try to get us back home for Christmas. I called AAA and had the car towed to the Firestone, along with some additional prayers for what the next day would bring. The next morning, after our discounted breakfast at the hotel restaurant, so I think this is the only picture we took during this difficult time because we were, you know, but a rare smile through that. Um, I called the Firestone as soon as they opened and reached Gabe. 
I asked if they could look at our car while attempting to convey our sob story to gain some sympathy. And to my surprise, it didn't take any additional convincing. They had received my message from the night before and already had our car in the shop. Gabe felt like they, the, they knew what the issue was and had hopes to get it started again. I was stunned with the good news, but by this point, we had our hope in check and were prepared for the worst. And I don't remember much of what happened that day, but eventually Gabe called back and said they had the car running. They couldn't fix the problem, but they were at least able to get it started. I hung up the phone and headed back to the front desk to see if they could help me get a taxi, uh, taxi ride over to the Firestone. To my delight, Angela was working at the front desk again, and I didn't have to explain the whole situation to someone else. I was able to tell her, about the, uh, tell her that the recommendation she had had worked out and that I now needed a ride to the Firestone. I asked her if she had any phone numbers for taxi services in the area, and she was genuinely happy to hear that it had worked out and even offered to call the taxi service for me. She said she would let me know when the taxi was there, and I went back to the room to tell Anne-Marie the good news. A few minutes later, I got a call from Angela that my ride was there, and I came out to the lobby and found a small older man at the front desk talking to Angela. He told me his name was Mike, and he led me to his, to his car. And right off the bat, I felt that something was strange. Uh, he, didn't, he was very kind and easy to talk to, and it just didn't feel like a business transaction. And then I saw his car. It was an old, giant boat of a car, and definitely not a taxi. <laughs> but he opened the back door for me, and I got in for the short ride to the mechanic. Um, Angela had evidently explained our situation to him because one of the first things he mentioned was that we were from Indiana and were heading back home for Christmas. Uh, he had evidently lived in Indiana for some time, and we were able to connect over that. Um, shortly into the drive, it, it dawned on me that there was no fare meter in the car, and I began to wonder, what kind of, what kind of taxi is this? But I trusted Angela wholeheartedly after her Firestone recommendation and the breakfast coupon, and if this guy was good enough for her, he was good enough for me. And besides, he was a at least at some point in his life. So. We pulled up to the Firestone, and I thanked him for the ride and asked how much the fare would be, and he said, don't worry about it. I'll give you the Hoosier rate. No cost today. Have a Merry Christmas. And I didn't know what to say. Uh, this was the last thing I expected, but I quietly thanked him and wished him a Merry Christmas, too. And I, uh, I wish I had realized it at the time, but days later, I think I figured it out. I think Mike was Angela's dad or uncle. And when I asked for a taxi, she took it upon herself to, to call him and tell him our story. And they had compassion on us, and Mike gave me a ride and gave me some of his Christmas Eve. Um, and, and we were strangers, you know, strangers in need. And he asked for nothing in return but that we have a Merry Christmas. I was so preoccupied with our car and our, our struggles that I was too distracted to put it all together in the moment. And I wish I could have appreciated just how kind and generous they were being. And I wish I could have told them in the moment. But as I walked to the, up to the Firestone, I saw our car was in the shop. And the first thing I noticed was that the engine was running. 
Praise God. Just to see the car running was an instant weight off my shoulders and a restoration of hope. I found Gabe, and he explained that he had figured it out. There was an electrical short or a connection issue in the anti-theft feature of our car, and it wouldn't recognize our key. So mechanically, everything was fine, but unfortunately, it would take a dealership to fix the issue. However, he knew that if you leave the key in the on position for 30 to 45 minutes, it would reset the controls and the car would start. Unfortunately, leaving the key in the on position for this long would kill the battery, so he had this auxiliary pack hooked up to make sure that that didn't happen. But he assured me that the car would run and could get us home. I was overjoyed. But then I realized that we were nearly eight hours from Indianapolis and couldn't get there with the gas that we had in the tank. So I asked Gabe what we should do about that, and all he said was, I wouldn't turn it off. <laughs> and that was fine. I didn't really care at the time. I was just so happy to have a running car. I asked him how much we owed him for the service, and he said, no charge. I didn't really do anything. And how wrong he was, right? He took up his time on Christmas Eve and space in his shop to get my car running again so that we could get home for Christmas. I thanked him quietly and wished him a Merry Christmas, and he said, Merry Christmas to you too. Good luck getting home. So on the ride back to the hotel, I thought more about the fuel dilemma. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I, I have a basic knowledge of combustion engines, so I tried real hard to figure out what the real hazard was with fueling, fueling up a car while it's running. And the more I thought about it, the more comfortable I was doing that. Anne-Marie did not reach the same comfort level. <laughs> uh, after I explained everything that had happened, the first thing she said was, Amelia and I will not be in the car while you fill it up. And actually, I think the first thing she said was, I would not have gotten into that taxi. But we were both elated to have a plan and a pathway home. We thanked Angela at the front desk for all of her help and gave her the good news. She smiled and wished us a Merry Christmas as we walked out the door to get into our already running car to get onto I-70 and head home. We did stop for gas one time on the way. And I, as I reminded myself not to shut off the car out of habit, I fueled while Anne-Marie stayed true to her word and headed into the service station with Amelia to get as far away from the running car as possible. And thankfully, we had no more issues along the way. Unfortunately, we didn't make it home in time for the Christmas Eve service at Faith. It's still the only Faith Church Christmas Eve service that we've ever missed since we were married in 2004. But we made it home in time for pizza it's a Wonderful Life, Stupid Questions, and all the rest of our predictable, silly, beautiful Christmas traditions. And we were able to experience all of this because our God chose to answer our prayers through the strangers we met in Kansas City. Our family got to experience these wonderful traditions with our daughter, the first grandchild, for the first time. Baby's first Christmas was home with her family. And the kindness, compassion, and sacrifice of Angela, Mike, and Gabe made that possible. God used these strangers who saw our need and decided to act to answer our prayers 
and show us his kindness, compassion, and provision when there was nothing we could do to fix our problem ourselves. God works through ordinary people to show his love, and that day he did it through Angela, Mike, and Gabe. And we can all have the privilege of being God's hands in the lives of the people whom he loves and who bear his image if we can open our eyes and see, see their need and decide to act for his glory. Thank you.